Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 2, Chapter 2. Previously on Pride and Prejudice, we've gotten into all the drama Bingley and Darcy and Bingley's sisters have all left for London and Jane is super sad about it because it doesn't seem like they're coming back. Mr. Collins is engaged to Charlotte and that makes really only Mrs. Bennet unhappy. Um, well, I guess Lizzie's unhappy, but not because she doesn't want to, not because she's jealous the way Mrs. Bennet is. She's just unhappy because she thinks badly of her friend. And I think kindly badly, kind of badly about Lizzie for her feeling badly about Charlotte. I've discussed it in length. I love Charlotte. Charlotte is the best. And I think Lizzie's a little judgy over that situation. <coughs> Wickham's in town. Wickham is telling everyone his sob story about how awful Darcy is. Um, now that Darcy has left, he only told Lizzie before Darcy left. An important point. And yeah, and then we're getting into winter. The wedding is going to happen for Charlotte and Mr. Collins pretty soon. Um, everyone now knows about how awful Darcy is, according to Wickham, and that is where we start with Chapter 2. Alright, so Chapter 2 starts with talking about Mr. Collins again. So he is back again. It says he's a, he spends a week with them and spends most of his, with them meaning the Bennets at Longbourn, but he spends most of his time with his amiable Charlotte and he's with all his flower language that he is going to um, go home again and he has the hope that he will shortly have the day fixed upon that will make him the happiest of men blah 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 and he's going to send another letter of thanks to their to mr bennett and mr collins leaves um and then the following monday after mr collins leaves some much better family guests come and these this is the first time we get to meet the gardeners so mr gardener is mrs bennett's brother and it says that they he and his wife came as usual to spend christmas at longbourn um, and I think it's interesting, it says that Mr. Gardiner was a sensible gentleman-like man, greatly superior to his sister, as well by nature as by education. Which makes sense, especially for the time period. Obviously, the men would have a better education than the women, because women weren't allowed to have education. So, um, there's that. But it also makes it, I think, a point here that we have Mrs. Phillips and Mrs. Bennet, who are very similar people. We've seen them together, and then we get Mr. Gardiner, who seems like a very different sort of person. And I think that point to the education is a big piece of that because boys were often educated outside the home, right? Um, and the family was well-to-do well enough that most likely Mr. Gardner would have been sent away to school somewhere. Um, and so he would have been raised separately from his sisters and in a very different way than his sisters because of that. And so I think that it is an interesting point to point out that even though they are siblings, they probably were not raised together a lot of the time because Mr. Gardner would have spent so much of his time away at school. I don't know. I, th I find that sort of thing as an interesting point um, that is 
you know, shown by the fact that Mr. Gardner is such a different person than his sisters that we met, that we've met. Um, and then Mrs. Gardner, his wife, um, is several years younger than Mrs. Bennett and Mrs. Phillips, and she's an amiable, intelligent, elegant woman and a great favorite with all her long-born nieces. Between the two eldest and herself especially, there subsided a very particular regard they had frequently been staying with her in town. That's another interesting point, in my opinion, because we also see this big gap in sort of the education and the manners of Jane and Elizabeth and then Mary Kitty and Lydia. They're very different people. So how did they all, being raised in the same house, have such, end up with such different personality, personality traits and social like acumen? And I think that this is an important piece to that, or it could be. Because it sounds like, from the way they word it, that the eldest two specifically spent a lot of time in London with them, meaning the gardeners. The younger three did not. And that could be for a number of reasons. Um, I'm thinking that if we talk about the gardeners having younger children, um, so their kids are all younger than the Bennett girls, but not by a huge amount. Or maybe, I, I don't think they would overlap with Lydia. I think they're all younger. But, so they didn't have kids when um, Jane and Elizabeth were young. And they were probably the two that were, like, old enough to go, right? If Mary and Kitty and Lydia were all, you know, toddlers. Maybe they were not really old enough to go take a trip to London for a month away from their parents. But if Jane and Lizzie were slightly older and they were considered old enough to go... Um, and they were the only ones who were old enough to go on those trips before the gardeners started having kids themselves, maybe? I can see that timeline sort of working out to be where Jane and Elizabeth, just like I was saying, Mr. Gardner got a very, was raised sort of differently than his sisters because he was sent away to school, that maybe Jane and Lizzie were raised a little differently than their sisters because they were sent away to the gardeners. And they wouldn't have spent the whole year there or anything, but it says frequently, and trips would have been weeks, maybe even months. So if, even if they spent two or three months a year with the gardeners in London, that is a long time to, you know, see a different way of interacting with the world and a different way to get education that their younger sisters, it doesn't seem, got. And that could go a long way to explaining sort of that difference we see between Jane and Lizzie and then the younger three girls. So I think that is an important piece to pick out of just one little line that Jane and Lizzie are closer to the gardeners and got to go stay with them in London frequently when they were children. The younger girls, it doesn't seem like they were, and that could be a big piece of that, in my opinion. Um, and I skipped a line that I actually do think is very funny. Um, it says that the Netherfield ladies would have had difficulty in believing that a man who lived by trade and within view of his own warehouses could have been so well-bred and agreeable. So that would be Caroline and Louisa, um, and they would, this is the, you know, relative that they were laughing about who lives in Cheapside. Oh my goodness. Um, but now it turns out that he is a very well-bred man and is actually a more, and by well-bred, I mean like socially acceptable person than his sister who is, has married up and is now socially higher than him. So it's a very interesting sort of situation where, I think we're trying to be a little subversive here in that the gardeners are sort of the lowest class people in the book, I think, um, realistically, because they are in trade and nobody else is that low. I mean, the closest would be like Wickham, who's a lower class man, 
ish, but even he is in a gentleman-like profession and seen as part of the gentleman class, where Mr. Gardner is not. So Wickham is poorer than the Gardners, but he is socially, theoretically higher than them at this point, based on his profession in the military, I think, if I'm understanding this correctly. So I do think the Gardners are the lowest class people we get to meet, because they are working class people who live in Cheapside, and he, like, and Mr. Gardner has a warehouse that he works in trade for the for a living. Um, so they seem relatively well to do. They have they have a good amount of money, but socially speaking, they are of a lower class. They are of the class that Mrs. Bennett married out of. Um, so I think it's interesting that they are sort of seen as socially some of the best and highest actors, I guess, socially speaking, in the book. They are you know, the most well-bred, quote-unquote, people, um, and yet they are socially, in social class standards, the lowest class people in the book, um, which I think is a really interesting point that I don't know that everybody sort of gets, but the fact that they are of such a lower class and yet act so well, um, I think is supposed to, in my opinion, is supposed to be part of that calling attention to the social classes idea of being kind of stupid um and i think a similar thing could be said about like lady catherine being the highest class person in the entire novel and behaving as poorly as she does so i think that those things are not unintentional how about that i think that there is something to be said about the fact that the lowest class people in the book are the gardeners and the highest class person is lady catherine and comparing them i think could be an interesting study <laughs> All right, um, so Mrs. Gardner comes and she gives out presents to everybody and then she tells everybody about the newest fashions in London because she is up to date. And then right away, Mrs. Bennett um, has to turn it around and complain of everything about that's been going on and how ill-used she's been since the last time she saw her sister. That two of her girls had been on the point of marriage and after all, there was nothing in it. And then there's this line where she, I do not blame Jane, for Jane would have got Mr. Bingling if she could. But Lizzie, oh sister, it is very hard to think that she might have been Mr. Collins' wife by this time, had not it been for her own perverseness. He made her an offer in this very room, and she refused him. The consequence of it is that Lady Lucas will have a daughter married before I have, and that Longbourn estate is just as much entailed as ever. So, <laughs> I mean, it's true that they theoretically could be married by now, although obviously Charlotte and Mr. Collins are not married yet, so they probably wouldn't be, I'm guessing. Um, so she seems a little hyperbolic there. Um, and I think it's interesting that her first point is not the, um, the entailment. If you listen, if you look at this, her first complaint, the most important thing, the first thing on her mind is not the entailment. The first thing is that Lady Lucas is going to have a daughter marry before I have. And that is the horrible situation that she is now part of. It's very sad for her that she, her daughter will not be the first one to get married. That Lady Lucas's daughter is going to get married first. Um, and that is obviously the most horrible situation. Oh, and also, my, uh, the estate is not going to now go to any of my daughters. And we're all going to be homeless when Mr. Bennett dies. But firstly, Lady Lucas. I just think it's funny. And shows her priorities. And even though, again, I try to stand up for Mrs. Bennett and say that she is correct in some of her craziness, 
in this sense, I do think we, we see her silliness and where her priorities are when she, her first thought is this competition she's got going with Lady Lucas and not the entailment. Anywho. Um, then she talks about how the Lucases are such artful people, which they very clearly are not. Because um, it's a, artful, they mean like crafty or cunning. The Lucases, I mean, Charlotte might be. But the rest of the Lucases, they are not. They seem to like very simple and nice people. So I think that, that she's full of it. Um, and so she goes on and on about it. And then just at the end, she talks about fashion and long sleeves. So again, just kind of showing how silly and flighty she is, I think. Um, so Mrs. Gardner listens to this, but since she already knows most of this because of letters with Jane and Lizzie, she tries to switch the topics very quickly. Um, it says, with, for, because of her compassion to her nieces. So later she's alone with Lizzie and they have a conversation about the situation with Jane. And I think it's interesting to get this outside perspective because Elizabeth is so invested in this Bingley Jane match. So is Mrs. Bennet. They're all like very histrionic about it. And then Mrs. Gardner from an outside perspective comes in and is like, doesn't seem to think it's that big of a deal. She's saying, you know, I'm sorry it went off, but these things happen so often. A young man such as you describe, Mr. Bingley, so easily falls in love with a pretty girl for a few weeks, and when accident separates them, so easily forgets her. But these sorts of inconsistencies are very frequent. And I think from that outside perspective, she's kind of right. But I do think that she's also missing the sort of consistency and how much everyone like expected this marriage to happen in a way so i think but i do think it's interesting that this outside perspective comes in and is like you guys are crazy well she doesn't say that but it's like it's not as big a deal as you guys are as you guys are making it out to be but lizzie doesn't take much consolation in this and says it's not an accident and then they get this interesting thing where they're talking about this term violently in love because Lizzie says that Bingley was violently in love with Jane. And Mrs. Gardner comes back with, but that expression of violently in love is so hackneyed, so doubtful, so indefinite, that it gives me very little idea. It is as often applied to feelings which arise from an, a half-hour acquaintance as to real strong attachment. Pray, how violent was Mr. Bingley's love? And Lizzie's answer, I think, is also very interesting. So, first of all, I again am kind of on Mrs. Gardner's side, where she's like, they didn't know each other that well. It's not like they've been pining after each other for years and they were childhood sweethearts or anything. Like, they've known each other for five minutes. Like, calm down. I kind of get that. And I love Mrs. Gardner. <laughs> um, but Lizzie's response, I think, is very interesting because she says he was growing quite intent inattentive to other people and wholly engrossed by her. Um, could there be a finer symptoms? Is not general incivility the very essence of love? And I think that's very interesting that she's saying that general incivility is the very essence of love, that you are so sort of caught up in this other person that you ignore everybody else. And that is how you prove that you're actually in love. Is this like, sort of obsession with each other and I think that that's a very sort of 
I don't know, almost juvenile interpretation of love in some ways. Because it's true that you want to be around the person, but this idea that what love is is this general incivility to everybody else and, like, total obsession with each other, which is a very Marianne Dashwood from Sense and Sensibility interpretation of this, um, which I wouldn't usually see Lizzie and Marianne as, like, very similar. But in this moment, I'm seeing a lot of Marianne and Lizzie and at least the way that Lizzie's thinking about things. Um, and it also is going to be something very funny later on when Lizzie's in love and she's trying to hide it and she's not generally un uncivil to everyone. And she doesn't have this general incivility and neither does Darcy. So I think that she is going to be proven wrong yet again in this idea that this general incivility is the way you prove love. So I just think that's an interesting point, um, counterpoint to what she's saying here that like what makes love or what makes, what proves your love is this, like, obsession with another person, as opposed to just, like, loving someone and still being able to have a life outside of them. Um, it just feels like a very first crush teenage sort of idea to what love is to me. And it doesn't fit in with how mature Lizzie seems in other situations, but I do think it's another place to point out that she is, you know, 20. And she is young and she hasn't been in love before and she's basing this off of like sort of books and things as opposed to real romantic attachments. And you kind of see that for the first time I think here with this conversation with Mrs. Gardner. For the first time Lizzie is kind of having a conversation with an older woman that proves to us as the readers how young Lizzie is. Um, and I think that's, and to me anyway, that's an interesting point that Lizzie is not as sort of worldly and wise as she thinks she is. And again, that'll come up later, that Lizzie's wrong about a number of things. And so this again is a place where we see that, where she comes off, I think, in this conversation as being sort of not as wise as she thinks she is. So I think that's an interesting part. So anyway, she talks, says this line about general incivility, and Mrs. Gardner comes back with, Oh yes, of that kind of love which I suppose him to have felt. Poor Jane. I am sorry for her, because with her disposition she may not get over it immediately. It had better have happened to you, Lizzie. You would have laughed yourself out of it sooner. Which I think is interesting, because it is also kind of saying here that Lizzie would be better able to deal with this than Jane is. Um, and would not make herself, like, would not worry herself so much about it, would be able to bounce back quicker. And I, and so I, I read this as kind of saying, like, Lizzie is more mature about it than Jane. And I don't know that I believe that. I think that, um, we see later that Lizzie is able to get herself down in the dumps very well as well. So I'm not sure I quite agree with that with Mrs. Gardner here and her reading of her nieces. Um, I think Lizzie would pretend to be better, more successfully, than Jane. But I don't know that she actually would be better. <sighs> but anyway, then Mrs. Gardner floats the idea of taking um, Jane to London. Which is interesting because it seems like in most of the adaptations I've seen, this idea of Jane going to London is Lizzie's idea. 
Lizzie's pushing Jane to go to London, like, to chase after Bingley. But in the book, it is very clear that Mrs. Gardner is bringing him, brings her there, and with not the idea that she's going to chase after Bingley, with the idea that, oh, she's not going to stay Bingley because we run in such different circles, it'll never happen. Um, and, you know, Mrs. Gardner and Lizzie have that conversation about how he says that Bingley is basically in the custody of his friend, and there's no way that Darcy's going to allow Bingley to go to Cheapside. Like, don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. Um, which I think is actually kind of interesting also in that, like, the Chekhov's gun sort of situation where you're thinking, well, they're spending so much time talking about how, oh, yeah, there's no way she can run into Bingley in London. And you're thinking, oh, okay, so obviously she's going to run into Bingley in London. But, spoiler, she does not run into Bingley in London. So, um, even though they kind of subvert that trope here because they're going on and on about how there's no way that they'll ever run into each other there. It's all great. And in any other rom-com in the world, then that's cue to cut to they meet in London. Doesn't happen here. So that's an interesting piece. They talk a little bit about the sister, um, Miss Bingley, Caroline, um, and how, you know, well, they'll have to see each other there. They won't have to stop it, but Lizzie basically says, oh, she'll drop the acquaintance. It'll, it, it won't go on. She's not going to do it either. And Lizzie here is correct. Caroline basically does that and um, makes, it makes Jane sad. So they have that conversation, but then Elizabeth actually does think she does have those ulterior motives after the fact. She says all the right things to Mrs. Gardner. Oh, like, oh no, you'll never see him. But after the conversation, she thinks, well, it might not be completely hopeless. They might run into each other. And, you know, if they do, everything might be great. Um, so she has hopes, even though she's not going to say it out loud. Jane accepts the invitation. She goes to London and she's hopeful that she'll get to see Caroline because Caroline's not living in the same house as Bingley. So, you know, she won't run into any danger of seeing Mr. Bingley if she goes to see Miss and that's the end of that little section of the situation. Jane is going to go with the gardeners when they go home and go back with them to London. Then we talk about the gardeners. They stay, they stay a week at Longbourn and they never sit down to a family dinner because Mrs. Bennet is getting them all over the place and having lots of entertainment, taking them all over town or when they are having dinner at home making sure that the officers come and Mr. Wickham was often part of that. Um, so they get to see a lot of Mr. Wickham over the week. And Mrs. Gardner is now watching them because she noticed how much G Elizabeth talked about Mr. Wickham. And so she watches them and she doesn't think they're actually like seriously in love, but they do seem to have a preference for each other and it made her uneasy. So she decided to speak to Elizabeth on the subject. Um, and said that she wants to represent to her the imprudence of encouraging such an attachment. Which, I mean, again, she's not wrong. It would be an imprudent match. Um, because he has no money and neither does she, and so they would be poor together. Which is also why it's not a good match for Lydia, but she's going to do it anyway. So there you are. Alright, so, and then we have a way that Mrs. Gardner and Wickham are connected because here's where we find out that Mrs. Gardner actually lived in Derbyshire before she got married. Um, 
um, but hasn't seen anybody there in a very long time. So she's able to hear more recent information from Wickham, even though he hasn't been back in a few years either. Um, and she's happy to remember that the old Mr. Darcy was seen as such a great man and he confirms it. And then it says, it ends the chapter with, on being made acquainted with the present Mr. Darcy's treatment of him, she tried to remember something of that gentleman's reputed disposition when quite a lad, which might agree with it, and was confident at last that she recollected, recollected having heard Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy formerly spoken of as a very proud, ill-natured boy. And I think this one is actually a very interesting piece of how we kind of choose to remember things, because I think that if you had asked her before she had this conversation with Wickham if she had anything negative to say about Mr. Darcy, the current one, she would have said no. She had nothing against him. She hasn't heard anything bad. It's all great. But then she has this situation where she hears bad things and then she's trying to recollect something that would like match with that in her own memory. And then she remembers, oh yeah, he's an ill-natured boy. And she's trying to remember back, you know, 20 years or something because she sounds, or more than that, because they were married. It sounds like she was married to Mr. Gardner and living in London by the time Jane was born, which was 21 years ago at this point. So it's been a while. Um, and so Mr. Darcy is now like 30 something. So when he was, you know, 10 or so, she's remembering that, oh yeah, he was an ill-natured boy back then. Um, just to agree with Wickham, which shows even Mrs. Gardner has that sort of human nature and prejudice of trying to be agreeable and fit in with information you're hearing. And I do think that is human nature to try to sort of make your memories match with what you've heard. Um, and... You know, that's something completely different topic, but, you know, they've done all this research on, you know, court systems and witness testimony being so invalid that people will say that they saw something that they very much did not and how your memories can be tampered with and changed. And I feel like this is a little moment of that kind of human nature of your memories being sort of fleeting and not as dependable as we like to think that they are. And it shows a little bit of that humanity in Mrs. Gardner as not being not as dependable as maybe we think that they are. And that's it. That's a pretty slim chapter, really mostly about the Gardners coming in. But it's important because I love the Gardners. The Gardners are great characters and they are important in other ways later. So this is a great place to introduce them, even though we see them very briefly and mostly get to see Mrs. Gardner. I don't think Mr. Gardner says anything in this part at all um but next time we'll get a little bit more with the gardeners we'll have a very interesting conversation where mrs gardner is going to do what she plans to do in this chapter of talking to lizzie about the situation with wickham and how you're not supposed to do anything stupid um so that'll be interesting and so this chapter while kind of short and not a lot happens i do think it's important because the gardeners are important and it's important to learn about them and this connection. It sets up Mrs. Gardner's connection with Derbyshire, which is important, very important for later and how Lizzie and Darcy reconnect. So there's a lot of important sort of plot points that get dropped here that I think we need to have, but it's kind of limited on plot. <laughs> it's more building up and giving us hints for things that are to come in the future as opposed to a lot happening right now. But we're going to get to Kent soon, and there's a lot of interesting stuff there, so I'm very excited. 
and I'll see you back next time for Volume 2, Chapter 3. Thank you.